Welcome to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast, where AOPA's legal and medical certification staff, along with leading industry voices, take on the challenges and developments that all pilots deal with. From staying out of trouble with the FAA, to becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. I'm Chad Mayer, a commercial pilot and staff attorney with AOPA's Legal Services Plan. Today we'll be discussing legal matters for volunteer pilots. Joining me today is Rick Durden, an AOPA panel attorney in private practice who's licensed in Colorado and Michigan. Rick is not only an accomplished pilot and aviation attorney, but also a prolific author. He's been practicing aviation law for more than 40 years, is a panel attorney for AOPA's Legal Services Plan, and you might recognize his name from articles he's written for numerous aviation magazines or from his book series, The Thinking Pilot's Flight Manual, or How to Survive Flying Little Airplanes and Have a Ball Doing It. He holds an ATP certificate with type ratings in the DC-3 and Cessna Citation and is also a flight instructor. Rick, thank you for joining us, and please tell us a little bit about yourself, including how you got into aviation and the practice of aviation law. Oh, Chad, thank you for the invitation. I greatly appreciate it. I'm an aviation cliche. I mean, I was crazy about flying as a kid. I thought pilots were cool. That turned out to be true. <laughs> my dad, my aunt, and my cousin were pilots. My brother learned to fly. High school summers, I worked ground crew for a crop duster, and it paid very well. Uh, as a result, I got my commercial and CFI by my freshman year of college, and I instructed through college. Back then, the airlines and the militaries required 2020 vision. So I was my plan B, because I didn't have 2020 vision, was law school. So I went to law school and I instructed and flew freight during law school. My first job out of law school was, as a lawyer was at Cessna Aircraft Company, helping defend product liability lawsuits. Part of the job required that I stay current in everything that Cessna built, which was quite a nice requirement. I was there for seven years and then went to an aviation and space trial law firm, primarily defending manufacturers. In the last 15 years, I moved into FAA matters, airport access, pilot representation, and I'm riding and still flight instructing. I discovered volunteer flying about 28 years ago and became a volunteer pilot for Lighthawk, doing some pretty amazing flying in support of the environment and natural resources. I've become increasingly active in the public benefit and volunteer flying world, and I'm on the board of Air Care Alliance, which is the umbrella organization supporting public benefit flying organizations in general. All right. Well, thank you, Rick, for telling us about yourself. You recently wrote an article for AOPA Pilot Magazine about legal issues that pilots face when flying volunteer flights. Please walk us through your article and tell us why this topic is important for pilots. Well, public benefit flying has become huge. It's turned out that pilots are incredibly willing to donate their times and their skills with aircraft to help others. The response to the recent need for disaster relief following the Bahamas hurricane and the Midwest U.S. floodings was, was just stunning. Pilots are willing to do a great deal to help in everything from medical transport through search and rescue, environmental support, pet transport, disaster relief, you name it. If you want to be a volunteer pilot, there's a group that can use your help. There is way more need for lift than there is supply. However, and there's always a however, the important thing is that no matter what kind of good works you are volunteering to do with an airplane, you have to comply with the FARs. Not doing so may mean a violation action by the FAA and or no insurance coverage if you have an accident. The good news in all of this is that the regulations are very clear. 
There's no problem finding the line between legal and illegal operations. When you're a volunteer pilot in your airplane or one that you rented, you're operating under Part 91. The bottom line is you have to pay for the full cost of the flight yourself. You cannot accept a donation. You cannot set up a GoFundMe account. You cannot let someone else pay for fuel. You cannot let someone else provide an airplane and you fly it. The FAA has explicitly said that if someone else picks up any part of the tab for a flight you make, then you are getting free or reduced price flying time, and that's compensation. If you are a pilot getting compensation, then the flight can't be made under Part 91. It becomes an illegal charter flight. So that means that volunteer pilots can't afford to make as many flights as they'd like to. And the Air Care Alliance and AOPA are trying to get the law changed in that area. There's been some progress. The FAA has agreed that a pilot can take a tax deduction for the cost of volunteer flights. And that's fuel and oil if you own the airplane and the rental cost if you rent. In addition, the organization you're flying for and you can together jump through some fairly involved hoops for an FAA exemption and you can qualify to be reimbursed for the fuel you use. If you fly search and rescue for the Civil Air Patrol, you can fly their airplanes without paying a cent. That's approved by the FAA because the CAP has a very rigorous qualification and safety program. The thing to keep in mind is that under Part 91, the overall rule is that there's no free lunch. You have to pay the full cost of the flight yourself. All right. Well, thank you for that overview, Rick. Since we're dealing with private pilot privileges and limitations, many pilots are familiar with FAR 61.113, which has certain exceptions to the general rule that compensation is impermissible. Uh, your article mentions a couple of legal interpretations from the FAA's Office of the Chief Counsel, which are a much less well-known resource. Let's start with what is a legal interpretation and, and how does it work with the regulations? The FAA legal department issues interpretation letters in response to people who write in and ask whether flying they intend to do complies with the regulations. Those letters are vetted all the way up to the top of the FAA food chain because they explain how the FAA will enforce its regulations. If you read one and decide to do what the FAA says you can't, you can figure that if the FAA comes after you, that it's going to use its published interpretation of the regs against you. And you're going to have a very hard time proving that the FAA was wrong. I referenced two interpretation letters, Kirwan and Bunce. Those are the names of the people who asked for the interpretations. There will be a link to them in the podcast so you can read them. The gist of them is that if someone other than the pilot picks up some portion of the cost of a volunteer flight, or if the pilot flies an airplane owned by a public benefit flying organization and the organization pays for the cost of the flight, then the pilot received compensation. The flight cannot be conducted legally under Part 91. It's an illegal charter flight. If you're being compensated, you're violating the regs. Will the FAA come calling? That's a good question. We all know that most of the time, compliance with the FARs is under the honor system. We agree to comply with the regulations. If we violate the system and the FAA finds out, often after an accident, it'll come after the pilot with both barrels. Worse, if the flight does fall under the definition of the legal charter, your insurance company may be within its rights to deny coverage after an accident. 
the takeaway is that no matter what kind of wonderful good work you're doing as a volunteer pilot, you still have to comply with the regs. The FAA and the NTSB know all about public benefit flying, and they support it. However, they are also watching it very carefully. Thanks, Rick. That's a good point that the FAA does support these operations. They're, they're very strict for the safety interests that they have to champion. But I believe each of those two interpretations you referenced talks about how the FAA supports public benefit flying. They make the point that, as you referenced, you know, if you jump through some hoops, some of these organizations can get an exemption to help cover fuel costs. So the FAA is trying to show pilots the right way to do this because they recognize it's a good thing, but they also want pilots to follow the regulations and uh, and comply. So say a pilot has a commercial certificate. He might think that 61.113 isn't controlling for him because it's talking about private pilot privileges and limitations. What additional considerations then come into play? Well, Chad, as it works out, a commercial or an ATP certificate is just the first step in the process of flying for compensation. You have to look at the FARs to see what else you need to do. For example, you may be able to fly sightseeing flights within 25 miles of your airport and get paid for it. But most other flying where the pilot is compensated means jumping through more regulatory hoops than just having a commercial or an ATP ticket. Part 119 of the regs is the next step in researching what you can and can't do. All right. Well, that makes it very clear. Thank you. And Rick, you took a a direct approach in your article, warning pilots that that if they don't look before they leap, they could not only get into trouble with the FAA, despite having the best of intentions, but furthermore, they could make the situation on the ground worse and risk having an accident that may not be covered by insurance. Are there examples you can share of well-meaning pilots you've counseled who've ended up having that kind of problem result? Yes, and rather than, uh, I'll just say in general, the FAA has carried on enforcement actions against volunteer pilots who didn't pay the full cost of a flight, and they went after them for making an illegal charter flight. The reality is the thing that makes me lose sleep is the fear that there will be another high-profile volunteer pilot crash, and the FAA will come down on us. A little over 10 years ago, there were three high-profile fatals in medical transport flights that were flown by volunteer pilots. The FAA and the NTSB started looking hard at changing the regs and came to the Air Care Alliance and told us to clean up the house. We came up with some best practices guidelines for public benefit flight organizations, and we worked closely with AOPA to create a training program, which became the interactive course on AOPA's website. It's called Volunteer Pilots Balancing Safety and Compassion. Over the course of 18 months, using this course and other activities that we did, we were able to show the NTSB that additional regulation was not necessary. But the NTSB and the FAA are still watching volunteer flying like hawks. My worry is that some well-meaning pilot who is convinced in his heart of hearts that the flying he is doing is such good work and for such a noble calling that he doesn't have to obey the regs, and he'll cause another high profile crash and we'll wind up with regs consistent with those that are currently being imposed in Australia and look like they're going to kill volunteer flying in that country. Volunteer flying has been a very important part of my life for 28 years. With Lighthawk, I've seen some of the most beautiful parts of this country and some of the ugliest caused by poor stewardship of our natural resources. I've flown into some incredibly challenging airstrips, met some fascinating people, and been privileged to fly internationally, known photographers and scientists. 
have had politicians on opposite sides of environmental issues in the same airplane as we flew over areas at risk of depredation and let the land speak for itself. I watched those folks have aha moments as they realized what damage had already been done and see for themselves what other areas would be lost to us if things were allowed to continue. The photos of a series of flights I made over the Mark Twain National Forest led to a $300,000 fine against a company that had been dumping poisons used in lead mining in the forests. They were getting into local water systems. And I've made some of the best friends I have because of our joint passion to fly little airplanes to help others. Thanks, Rick, for walking us through all of that. This discussion of public benefit flying has had a lot of good information. The ACA that you mentioned is a great umbrella organization. They'll have links to Lighthawk, where you volunteer. I've done some flights for Pilots and Paws. There's too many great organizations to mention, but ACA is a great resource to get started looking if pilots want to volunteer their their time and energy. Rick, where can listeners find you online? I'm at uh, www.rickdurden.com. <laughs> Easy enough. Thank you, Rick. All right, so we'll put that into the show notes uh, as well as links to your article, FAR 61.113, the ACA, and the various legal interpretations that you mentioned. One piece of breaking news that I did want to share that AOPA has learned after Hurricane Dorian, a lot of well-meaning pilots uh, flew in to try to help out. Some of them didn't necessarily follow all the rules, and we have heard that the behavior ATC and U.S. military ad hoc ATC is going to be sharing some data with FAA. We don't know if there are going to be FAA investigations that come out of that process, but you know we'll, we'll certainly keep everybody posted on that as we hear. Thanks again, Rick. I appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your extensive expertise in this area. Chad, thank you for the opportunity to be on the program. It's been a pleasure. A thanks also to our producer today, Tyler Pengborn. Thanks for tuning in to the Pilot Protection Services podcast. We'll be back soon with more of your favorite topics and guests in general aviation. Pilot Protection Services is available only to AOPA members, and over 64,000 of those members choose to protect their certificates with PPS. It's a service we're proud to provide. Fly safe, and we'll see you soon.